Hey, I'm Emma. Hey, I'm Zoe. And we're roommates who read. so excited that you're here with us. We can't believe we made it to 30 episodes. Dirty 30! Oh my gosh. Uh, this week we are going to be discussing A House of Earth and Blood, which is the first book in the Crescent City series, which is currently has two books out, but will be a trilogy. That was a lot. Can we bring that down again? <laughs> Can you give it to me like slower? <laughs> okay, the first book in the Crescent City series is titled A House of Earth and Blood. Currently there are two published books, but there is a third on the horizon. Thank you. And we will only be discussing the first part of the first book today, because this thing's a fucking chonker. Yeah, so we decided that we were going to split it into two separate episodes. The book is split into four parts, so we're going to be covering the first two parts of the first book in our part one of our two-part podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have to say this in the most confusing way? That was the point. We're doing two episodes per book. This is part one of book one. Yeah, so it's going to cover a little bit less than half of the first book. Where are we going before we get into Crescent City? We're going to the Literary Labation Station. What are are we drinking this week? This week we're drinking the Party Girl Era. Mm -hmm. Hold on, I'm going to be the bartender right now. I did slice the oranges, so I'm kind of an integral part to this. (laughs) This drink has... (laughs) has two ounces of light rum, two ounces of dark rum, an ounce of lime juice, an ounce of orange juice, a half ounce of passion passion fruit puree, half an ounce of simple syrup, and a teaspoon of grenadine, and and some oranges that I sliced up, and two maraschino cherries. I only wanted one. You got two. (laughs) You weren't looking. Damn. I just thought I'd surprise you. Cheers. Cheers to my excellent orange slicing. <laughs> it's pretty good. We were going for fruity vibes. Mm-hmm. It's fruity. What are you reading this week? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> so I'm a little conflicted on my what am I reading this week because... I know. Thank you for knowing me. Mm-hmm. This morning, quite literally, less than 12 hours ago, yep. I finished Daisy Jones in the Six. Mm-hmm. Review incoming. I haven't started a new book. No, you have not. And I don't know what my new book is going to be. But I think in a day or two. You could reread something. Would that make you feel better? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what you need. Something that's not new. So, the the, the graphic is going to say that I'm reading Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm not reading Daisy Jones <laughs> and the Six. I just don't know what else I'm reading. Only true podcast fans will know <laughs> <laughs> that she is not reading You'll Daisy Jones You'll have to tune in to know what I'm actually reading. And I have been meaning to start The Song Rising by Samantha Shannon, but it's a traumatic book. And I don't know if I'm ready to put myself through that again. I started a different book at the gym. It's just like a... Wait, are you telling me that you lied on here? I did. Damn, Emma. <laughs> um, I started a lesbian little rom-com book at the gym, but it's only like 250 pages. So I think it might just be my bus gym book. How was that last little rom-com you were reading at the gym? <laughs> <laughs> it was not a 
rom-com. Oh, it was a rom? <laughs> yeah. We went to the gym together earlier this week. I was reading um, Radiant Sin by Katie Roberts. First of all, it's Katie Roberts, yeah. so we managed, I should have managed my expectations. We're on the treadmills next to each other, and I am very intently watching CNN's coverage <laughs> of the Alex Murdoch trial, and Emma is texting me that she has to put her book down because it is getting too explicit for the treadmill. Yeah. No one was around us, but I just felt... We were near the entrance. Yeah, I felt exposed. And it was just very spicy, and I wasn't in the mental state to read a really spicy scene next to you on the treadmill in a public gym. You never need to be embarrassed around me. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) You can tell me anything, sweaty. Yeah, like Zoe mentioned earlier in this episode, we're going to be splitting um, both of the Crescent City books into two separate parts because they are long. This episode will only cover half of the first Crescent City book. See, that was such a better way to say it. I was trying to be complicated. Mm -hmm. It was purposeful. Sure. That's what they all say. Can we get into the content? If we must. Okay, uh, before we get into the episode, we've got to do a flow. It's going to be a little bit different from our Akatar episodes because this book is so large that we could spend hours on the plot if we really wanted to get into every nitty-gritty detail. And we won't. So I'm going to do a little bit of an intro about the world of Crescent City because it's pretty different than the Akatar universe. So we just kind of want to orient ourselves, figure out where we are, where we're going, and then we'll do a character overview and a plot overview. The plot overview is going to be a little bit more broad, but we'll also throw in some kind of like implications. Like it's it's going to be loosely in order, but there's some backstory that goes into some of the plot points. I wrote the plot. Is always looking at me very Yeah, confused. I am. <laughs> You'll see. I'm taking you on a journey. <laughs> Emma is definitely going to be taking the lead because she loves Crescent City. Yeah. And I read Crescent City because SJM wrote it. Mm-hmm. I also, you've actually read it more recently than I have. I have, yeah. I'm going to let, this is going to be an, an Emma-driven episode. <laughs> Yeah, but we are going to maybe do a little bit of reactions at the end, but again, because this is the first part of the the series, we don't want to, I feel like our reactions are better focused for the second episode, That's when true. the book has wrapped up. Okay. Uh, flow me. <laughs> she just tell me about that flow. flow. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, I turned out. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways. Unflow me. <laughs> so, about the world of Crescent City. Crescent City 1 and 2 are set in a contemporary fantasy city named Lunantheon. They're not an extra N there. Lunantheon. Lunantheon? I can't, I cannot say it to save my life. I say, um, Lunathion. Lunathion, aka Crescent City, which is what I will be calling it going forward. There's no N after the second A. I know, Uh, It's a truly modern setting, so basically it's like a 21st century city, and it's not futuristic in the sense that there's, like, heightened technology or, like, car, like, flying cars, that kind of stuff. It's just like a 21st century city, plus there's some, like, magical elements, but it's not futuristic. Yeah. Like, they have phones and regular bathrooms and, Regular bathrooms? (laughs) That's something I think about in fantasy books, is they don't have showers. Yeah. There, there are modern amenities in our Crescent City city. In unit washer and dryer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a large major city. Uh, so the city is divided into seven districts slash neighborhoods. So there's the Central Business di- District, Asphodel Meadows, Five Roses, which is also called Firo, and this is where the Fae almost exclusively live. And then there's Moonwood, which is where the Wolf Shifters live, Old Square, the Meat Market, and the Bone Quarter, which is 
where the dead people live. I like how in parentheses next to it you just have dead. <laughs> yeah. One quarter, dead. Um, and each of the quarters kind of has a de facto ruler. So like the Autumn King rules five roses. Um, the leader of the Wolf Shifters uh, rules Moonwood. The Under King rules the Bone Quarter. That kind of stuff. The Viper Queen rules the Meat Market. All of that. Ah, the Meat Market. <laughs> and then each district also has its own gate, which is kind of like a quartz crystal gate in in ye olden times they were used for communication um and so you can now as like a kind of a tourist attraction almost you can pay a golden coin touch your hand at the gate and you can like whisper something and someone at a different gate can hear you um and the gates are all situated upon lee lines of the city ley lines ley lines thank you ley lines of the city which um the power that powers the city called first light runs through these ley lines um, and then the ruler of the city, his name is Micah, he's the governor, um, and he's an archangel. So in Crescent City, instead of it just being fae, there's a whole bunch of different kind of races almost of uh, species. species of magical beings. So the angels um, are one of these species, and like the fae are a different species, the shifters are a different one. And then they're just plain old humans. Yeah, I'll get into that in a second. So then Crescent City is located on a planet called Midgard, which has other countries and cities in it. Um, but the whole, the entire planet is ruled by the Asteri, um, and they live in the Eternal City, which is not nearby to Crescent City. So the Asteri are near godlike beings. They don't age, and they're extremely hard to kill, and they rule with an iron fist. And they've been at war with the humans for like a hot minute, because the humans are the lowest of the low of the races. Um, so humans are like the low tier, and then anyone who's basically like a half breed is also pretty low. There used to be seven Asteri, but one died in a very long time ago in a war called the First War. Very original, very creative. <laughs> um, and all of them are named after stars. And Asteri, fun fact, means star in Greek, I believe. I found that in my research. <laughs> um, who's the one that's dead? Uh, Sirius. That's what that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Sirius Black. <laughs> um, but. They, all seven of them rule equally, and they're kind of mysterious. Like, not a ton is known about them, but everyone fears them. They're all siblings, aren't they? Technically, yeah, yes. Yeah, I think that's weird. Yeah. Also, yeah. So they deputize rulers of other districts and cities um, around the world that they control. So they deputize Micah, and most of them, I think, are archangels. Um, so they deputize Micah to be the archangel of Crescent City. For a second, when you said, I think most of them are archangels, for a second, I thought you were still talking about the Asteria, no. and I was like, no, no, no. they're their own thing. Uh <laughs> yeah, so Midgard, the planet, is divided into four magical houses based on, like, power, rank, and these houses slash your power kind of determines your station in society. It's almost like a de facto caste system, like a social caste system. Yeah. Um, And this is something that the Asteria the Asteri slash their imperial senate that's kind of what their governing body is called set up so the four houses are the house of earth and blood which is the shifters like the wolf shifters um these are people who shift between like human and animal forms um humans which is and then animals and then the house of sky and breath is the malachim which are angels and archangels fey and elementals so those are just like people who have elemental magic um, and then the third house is the House of Many Waters, which is river spirits, myrrh, water beasts, nymphs, kel kelpies, and knocks. I don't know if that's a correct pronunciation. Um, oh, who's got a line through it? Yeah. 
the fourth and final house is the house of flame and shadow and this is kind of the darkest like most mysterious house so the spooky house <laughs> that house contains <laughs> demons wraiths wraiths uh vampires dracai dragons necromancers and quote wicked and unnamed things so that sounds quite wicked yeah and then each house also has a patron god honestly the world building is such a hurdle in this or it was to me i liked it no oh, i'm sure you did <laughs> It's like the first 200 pages. You're just kind of, like, getting... Yeah, it is hefty. It is. I would say, though, that's one thing that... I don't know. I feel like we learn more about the world front-loaded in this book compared to some of the other SJM books. And I don't know if that is because this book is just so much longer. Yeah, maybe. But... And it's so different. Yeah, it's very different from other books. Because I feel like Tog and Akhtar are pretty similar in setting and like magic schemes in a way like there's obviously different characters and different types of people um but yeah i just wanted to give you guys a little world building how to a crash course (laughs) in the crescent city world because the rest of it doesn't really make sense unless you understand no it really doesn't that was something that i really struggled with reading for the first time Mm -hmm. is not getting all of that like because you, you don't not get grasping it. Yeah. onto all of it, yeah. and then you know putting the book down, picking it up like two days later, and being like, "What the <laughs> fuck is going on?" Okay, should we get into the characters now? Okay, first and foremost is Bryce. Mm-hmm. Bryce is our main character, mm-hmm. our leading lady. That's what I wrote. She's half fae and half human. Mm-hmm. She is the daughter of the Autumn King. That's oh, a oh. secret. She's a bastard. And Emma has written here, um, and I want to read it <laughs> verbatim. Very outgoing, I don't give a fuck vibes. Am I wrong? No, 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 you're not. That's why I wanted to read it verbatim. That's a very good description of Bryce. She's like a little social butterfly. Yeah. She's She's in her party girl era. They call her the party princess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but she has layers. Like an onion. (laughs) Like an ogre. (laughs) She's complex. She's Uh, prettier than an ogre. Yeah. She is described as like pale with this like deep red hair, which... It's just interesting. She's also curvy, which I know is a complaint of a lot of SJM books, is that there's not a lot of representation. So this is just something um, to keep in mind. Yeah. So the next character is Danica. She's Bryce's best friend. They were roommates in college, and they became best friends after that. Why are you looking at me like this? Um, And then Danica is a wolf shifter, and she is the alpha, so like the head gal of the Pack of Devils, which is her... Wolfpack, and she's heir apparent to the Moonwood District slash the Wolf Shifter population in Crescent City. Um, and I think at the start of the book, Bryce and Danica are like 23 to 25, somewhere in that age range. Like, they're a few years out of college. Yeah. The next two characters we're going to kind of combine, they're the other girls in the friend group um, with Bryce and Danica. So there's Juniper and Fury. Juniper is a fawn, which, like, half human, half deer, kind yeah. of. She's got, she's human with deer legs. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen Narnia, think of Mr. Tumnus. But cute. Yeah, prettier but than pretty. Mr. Tumnus. Uh, <laughs> um, she's a soloist in the Crescent City Ballet. Mm-hmm. And she gets kind of some flack for it because she is of mixed species. So she's got deer legs. Yeah, and so... Even though she's an incredible dancer, she doesn't always get the main spots, and she's, like, discriminated against in that sense. And then Fury 
is an infamous assassin. There's very little known about her. Yeah, she's quite aloof. We know very little things about her. Um, I think this is really interesting. This is a little aside. Mm-hmm. In fan art, she's kind of portrayed as, like, maybe an Asian-looking woman mm-hmm. with, like, short, dark hair and all this stuff. I always imagined her as looking more like Bryce with red hair. Really? So when I first saw someone, like, mm-hmm. when I first saw fan art of Fury, I thought it was fan art of Amarin. And I was like, what? Yeah. And then someone was like, no, this is... You and I talked about it. Because yeah. I think we had this conversation because... Like, Fury, I feel like it goes with the red hair. It kind does, like, fiery. I yeah. don't know. Um, I get it. And I was just so thrown off. I was like, that's not what you look like <laughs> in my head. Yeah. But I'm also not great at reading character descriptions. No, you're not. So, I just, they they become known in my head as yeah. who they are. So, the next two characters are Connor and Ethan, and they are both wolf shifters and they're brothers. And Connor is a member of the Pack of Devils, which is Danica's pack, and Ethan is his little brother. And they are both friends with Bryce and Danica um, through Crescent City University. It's kind of how they all met. Yeah. Ethan was the star sunball player. And Ethan, he's not part of the Pack of Devils, but... No, he's part of a different pack. He is? Yes. Oh, that's important. It is? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> For later events. Um, Next character yeah. is... Continue. <laughs> Jessiba. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, I've, I have heard some people on TikTok call her Jessiba. Oh. With a little that could be true. Uh that J, it's it's confusing. So she's Bryce's boss. She used to be a witch mm-hmm. and she left her little coven and yeah. defected to the house of flame and shadow. This is very uncommon. Yeah. First of her... all, that's the spooky house. Yeah, it makes her spookier. Yeah, it gives her a very mysterious vibe. We also don't like we know a lot about her, but we also don't. You but know what I mean? A lot of people don't know anything about her. Like she has a very yes. mysterious past. Everything's very questionable. Bryce doesn't know a lot about yeah. her. But she's a boss house bitch. Some people say she's the emissary for the underking who rules the bone quarter. Spooky. But she's very, very powerful and often threatens people. She often threatens people and often does turn them into animals. Yeah. So, uh, don't cross Jessica. That's, like, something she jokes about Bryce when Bryce complains. She's like, I'm going to turn you into a, a tortoise. Yeah. yeah. Whatever animal she's thinking of that day. Okay, the next character is Micah, who Emma's kind of previewed already. He's an archangel who was appointed by the Asteri to be, like, the governor of the city. Mm-hmm. And he is the owner of Hunt. And Emma's going to take it away now yeah. with Hunt and tell you a little bit more about that. So, Hunt is a slave. That's something I'll talk about in a second. I'm going to give a little bit more about him. But he's a very infamous angel. He has some nicknames, aka the Umbra Mortis, aka the Shadow of Death. Um, And his power... (laughs) The Shadow of Death. So something about the slaves in the... in Midgard is that they wear a crown of thorns. Basically, it's a tattoo. Mm -hmm. And then they have this, like... That's very biblical of them. It's either SMPQ or SPMQ... Um, with seven stars around it, which is a symbol for the Asteri, and the tattoo, the, like, crown of thorns tattoo and the tattoo, like, the stamp, um, are made from witch's ink, so it kind of tones back some of his powers, and or all slaves' powers. So Hunt is incredibly powerful. Um, his power is that he can cre- create and manipulate lightning, um, and this is something that is unique to Hunt alone. Like, no other angel or archangel can do this. And because of this, he's incredibly powerful. So even though he still has these marks of a slave, which tamp down his powers, he's still, like, pretty freaking powerful. Yeah. 
all angels have heightened senses, like eyesight and strength, kind of similar to how Faye have heightened senses as well. Um, and like Zoe said, he's owned by Micah. Um, and the reason he is a slave is because he tried to lead a rebellion 100 plus years ago. Um, a with really humans, long time ago, yeah. Alongside his archangel lover, Sahar. Shahar? Shahar. I don't know. There's an H there. I don't know, which failed. Um, because of this, the Assyri, Assyri punished him to be a slave, um, and he was sold originally to Sandriel, who was Shahar's twin sister. Shahar's dead, by the way. Yes. That's She important. was killed in the rebellion. Yes. Um, so Micah bought Hunt, and he's, quote-unquote, working his way to freedom, and the way he's doing this is, in the rebellion, Hunt caused 200, or 2,217 deaths, and he is Micah's assassin, so Micah said, if you kill 2,217 people that I order you to kill, you'll be free. So, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. And because he's this, this assassin, he's gotten the nickname Umbramortis Shadow of Death, and he wears this, like, full black suit and helmet when he kills people, and people are like, oh, fuck, like, it's the Umbramortis. <laughs> and a lot of the angels don't all have white wings like some of them have different colors but hunt has black wings which is unique to him so people are like shit <laughs> it's the umbra mortis can i ask uh-huh how do you picture hunt um tall long shoulder-ish length dark hair but like crystal blue eyes in my tan brain him and cassian the same are the same yeah yeah okay just wanted to make sure yeah they're I was like, trying not to make that comparison. No, 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 that's what I was okay, getting at. Okay, he, they are the same. The way they've both been described, they look quite similar in my yeah. brain. Yeah. She has a type. Well, don't we all? <laughs> okay, do you want to talk Speaking about Speaking of our my type. character. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Rune Dannon, crown prince of the Valbaran Fae. <laughs> so he is, let's just go off his titles that Emma has written down. Crown prince of the Valbaran base. Bay, your bay. <laughs> 2015 is that you? <laughs> Crown Prince of the Valbaran Fey, Starborn, wielder of the Star Sword, son of the Autumn King. Mm-hmm. So he's, if you're following here, Bryce's half brother. Yes. So his powers include a really strong sense of smell, kind of like the Akatar Fey, and more strength. And through his mother's line, he is a telepath, so he can like mind speak, mm-hmm. and he can manipulate shadows. And he has Starborn magic where he can produce light, but it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. So he is the Starborn because he is like in the line. Through like, his trials, recovered the Star Sword. And so yeah. they're like, oh, he's the Starborn. But it's also genetic. Like he's part no. of the line. I thought it was part of There the- hadn't been a Starborn in a really long time. And then he got the Star Sword. And so then, like, ah, oh, yes, you are the Starborn. It has to be within his family line. Yes. Okay, yeah. that's it's not what just I was any fake. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. That's what I was getting. I yeah. was like, no, I'm pretty sure this no, is how he it is works. related to the OG Starborn, yes. but there hadn't been Starborn it's powers. Their yeah. yeah, that's kind of like Excalibur, where he was like worthy, <laughs> where he was worthy enough to pull the Star Sword from the cave because he Do had Starborn magic. Excalibur? Do you know that? Is it like King Arthur? Okay, I just want to make sure. You know what I was thinking? It was like what Mjolnir from huh? Marvel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Before we go into the plot, I have a question for you. Okay. Because we were looking at each other at one point a moment ago. <laughs> and I just wonder, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. which one of us is Bryce and which one of us is Danica? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, 
Personality-wise, who's rising and Danica? I don't know. I feel like you're Danica. <laughs> but I feel like you're Bryce. Oh, thanks. Maybe we're a little bit of each. Aww. Maybe everyone's their own Bryce and Danica. That's cute. <laughs> I was going to say you're Danica because you're blonde. <laughs> Danica dyes her hair. Oh, really? She has, like, bleach blonde hair with, like, streaks in it. Well, yeah, but she's blonde. Yeah. Platinum blonde is blonde. Okay. Okay, now that we've done our character summary, we're going to talk about the plot. The plot. (laughs) (laughs) So, like we said, this book is broken up into four parts. So, this is part one of the four parts. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, It's called The The Hollow. Hollow. (laughs) I thought it was interesting to include the names. So, when the book starts, Bryce is working at this high-end antique gallery. Like we said, Jessica's her boss. Yep. The antique gallery has kind of rare magical antiques. It's very expensive, very Seems like a lot exclusive. of the things that Jessica has, she's not supposed to have. But... Yeah. And underneath the antique gallery is a secret library full of secret, rare, and somewhat illegal old books. Bryce likes her job, but it's kind of a dead-end job for her. She doesn't really love Jessica. She wants to be working in a museum or, you know, in a library of some sort. She has the opportunity to work in the fake galleries, but doesn't she hates her dad spoiler yeah. alert so she doesn't want to be associated with him or use his connections to get herself a job so like i said under the gallery there's this collection of super rare and illegal books and there's a fire sprite named lehaba lehaba that guards the books i love lehaba she's so she's funny the like comedic relief chatty little fun character how, how tall do you imagine lehaba smaller than the size of like a cup i agree okay she's supposed to be tiny there's also some weird pets slash animals that Bryce thinks that Jessica has turned people into that she leaves in the library. And Bryce's most recent job is tracking down Luna's horn, which was stolen from the goddesses Luna, her temple, a few nights ago. Um, and Jessica doesn't want to get it back to, like, restore to the temple. She wants to get it back to sell it, basically. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> when you're Jessica, that's what you do. Those are her motives. So Bryce is working one day, and her friend Danica comes in and leaves her sword and uh, comes in to grab a change of Casual. clothes. Hey, yeah. Bryce, hold my sword. It's Her gallery is located, I think, in a pretty central part of the city. And so Danica, as a part of like her position within the wolf shifters and her position in the pack, she leads a team of like city guard. And there's some, they're like multiple. They go out on patrol. Yeah, teams of city guard. So they're there, and they're kind of chit-chatting, and Bryce is like, you can't leave your shit here. Like, Jessica's going to kill me. She's going to turn me into a tortoise. And Bryce is complaining to Danica because they went out a few nights ago and got drunk, and they got matching tattoos along their spine. And Bryce is like, this shit is itchy. Like, what did you do to me? Why did you let me get this drunk and get this tattoo? Blah, blah, blah. Um, So they're just, like, having a friendly little chat. So Danica leaves. She goes to continue on her patrol. Um, And then Bryce closes up for the day. She leaves work. And she's heading back to their apartment because they live together. She comes home from work and Danica and the pack are all there. So I don't know how many people are in the pack, but it's a handful. Yeah, five, six, seven. Um, and Bryce is all friends with them, like through Danica. And the pack is having a night in because this human rebel named Briggs, who they um, helped capture, is being released from prison. Uh, they He was arrested and kind of put on a hold, but they didn't have charges against him. So he's being released. Aren't they, like, watching, like, a sunball game or something Yeah, Ethan's playing? Yeah. Yeah. So they're, like, ordered pizza, having beer, you know, just having a, a night in. 
Um, and Bryce is supposed to be going ready to get on a date with this human heir um, to a mega tech company. I think his name is like Reed or something. He's very minor. We don't see him yeah. again. But Connor is there, and Connor has a thing for Bryce. And he's yeah. had a thing for Bryce since college, basically. Um, and he comes into the kitchen. Bryce is, like, making herself a drink or, like, I don't know. She's in the kitchen for some reason. And he walks over the counter. He's like, don't go on a date with that, like, shitty guy. Go on a date with me, blah, blah, blah. And she keeps turning him down. And Bryce has this thing where she says she doesn't want to date alpha holes. And alpha hole is a term that gets used in the book. And it's kind of just, like, alpha male bullshit. Yeah. And so it's a joke that her and Danica have. And it's something that comes up multiple times her date gets there she's like you left me here like what the fuck um dumps her date and then texts connor and she's like fine i'll go on a date with you but bryce you know she's looking good she wants to have her little night on the town danica's having a night in so she knows that she's not coming out um and bryce meets up with her other two friends uh juniper and fury to go clubbing um and they're a party group they're young 20 somethings they're hot they're having a good time so they drink a bunch of stuff they do a bunch of drugs. And Bryce also, at this point, yes, hooks up with another guy. In the bathroom. Yeah. And she's drunk texting Danica, and she said, I just hooked up with in the bathroom with someone. Don't tell Connor. And so there's, she's, like, drunk texting Danica, like, come out, we miss you. She's sending her a bunch of pictures and videos, and then she sends this text. So... Bryce is drunk and high out of her mind, and she is like, okay, time to go home, you know, it's late, whatever, my feet are killing me, and she heads back to their apartment, um, and when she gets there, she notices that the door has been smashed in, and, like, glass is everywhere. That's never a good sign. Yeah, so not good, and she's very inebriated. She's not sober by any means. So not at all. she doesn't really understand what's going on, but she knows that something is wrong, and she walks in, and there's blood everywhere, there's... It's, like, it's a crime scene. And she ends up realizing that the entire pack has been murdered, including Danica. And they're described as being, like, shredded to ribbons. Which I think is something that comes up in multiple SJM books. And I don't know what that means. But Don't think about it too hard. It's vivid. Like, it's still gory. It's quite gory. So... And you're thinking this is probably, like, seven to ten people who have been shredded to ribbons in your apartment. apartment. And, like, furniture is smashed. The TV's broken. Glass is broken. TV... What about the sunball game? In this, like, state of distress and drunkenness, sees kind of this, like, bright flash of something and thinks it's the murderer. So she starts chasing it. Like, she's in heels and a mini dress and Quite inebriated. She starts chasing it because- Let me tell you, have you ever tried to run quite inebriated? Because it does not work very well. Yeah, I haven't even done that. Um, So she follows this thing and realizes- that it's like this being which and it ends up being a demon and it comes outside their apartment complex and so she chases it bryce attacks the demon with like a broken table leg or something from the crime scene she like smacks it she hits it um and then it either bites or scratches her leg and like yeah like tears her thigh open oh sounds like a shark attack and then um it starts attacking another person and so the other person is like use my phone like he's on his deathbed she's on her deathbed she's they're both bleeding out he gets his phone out and he's like call this number like call 911 whatever and the angel that was attacked ends up being a mica the archangel 
slash the, the ruler of the city. The, the governor. governor. Um, and basically, like, EMT, the city patrol, comes and Bryce gets her leg stapled back together, like, trauma response. They're just like, your femoral <laughs> arteries ruptured. We're gonna staple you together. It's very Grey's Anatomy of you. You're welcome. Who staples her leg back together, Emma? It's fun. So, uh, Bryce, she is a suspect. Yeah. So, they take her, because one thing is that they live in, like, a pretty shitty apartment complex, so there's supposed to be cameras, there are no cameras, or, like, the cameras have been turned off or something, like, so Bryce is a suspect. Once they get her stable, they take her back to the compound where Michael lives. It's, like, a big skyscraper in the center of the city that has you know all of the people that work for him and all this like business type stuff it kind of to me was like a city hall type place but where also like the cops live yeah um so she's in a holding cell there and rune calls and says that he's a distant cousin of bryce's and because he's you know the crown prince all this stuff that they need to let her go but another thing is that Rune and Bryce don't really get along. No, they had a big falling out. Yeah, and not to mention that Bryce just really doesn't want anything to do with her dad, which Rune is uh, her half-brother through her dad. Yeah. So, and Bryce is not publicly acknowledged by her dad either. Right. So Rune can't just be like, yo, let my sister out. And they also don't look similar either, so it's not like anyone would think that they're siblings necessarily. Um, I think Bryce does look a lot like the Autumn King. I think she's supposed to look like him, but Rude does not look like him. Right. Um, which I think ends up being kind of a point of contention between him and the Autumn King in some way. Yeah. So the legion that Micah commands, like his, basically his like elite legion is called the 33rd legion. That might come up um, just for your, for your knowledge. Uh, so Rune gets Bryce released. Sabine shows up, who is Danica's mom, and she is fucking Sabine. Livid. I forgot about Sabine. And she already hates Bryce. Like she doesn't think that Danica should live with Bryce. Like Bryce is a half breed. She also her... doesn't like Danica no. that much, though, because Danica's kind of a threat to her own power. Yeah, exactly. As like the heir. Yeah. Um, because the current ruler of or like the leader of the Moonwood District and the Wolf Shifters is Sabine's father, who's Danica's grandfather, and he's very old. Like, he's... Yeah. He's, he's on his way out. He's sleepy. All the time. He is, like, almost yeah. always just asleep, and they're like, excuse me? Yeah. But he's picked Danica basically over Sabine, and Sabine resents that. But she very much resents Bryce as well. So that night, they end up arresting Briggs, who had just gotten released from prison. The human guy. Um, Because they think, you know... Danica's pack was the one he's who put got him a in, strong motive. Yeah. I'll say it. Danica's pack was the one who put him in jail in the first place. Like you know, all of this stuff. And the other members of Moonwood, so not Danica's pack because they've all died, are oh good, thank you for that. Are really upset because all of these text messages. They can see the messages that Danica yeah, or that uh, get, Bryce sent to Danica about hooking up with that guy to the media. And so Ethan Connor's brother is basically like, "Don't come to the funeral," which is really sad because. Bryce really kind of did have a thing for Connor. Yeah. And she was just kind of... it When she was refusing to go on a date with him, it was more so just like a... It was almost like friendly, flirty banter thing. Yeah. Like, no dating in the friend group, not I don't like yeah, you. Yeah, she did have a crush for him. She did have feelings for him. Um, Plus, I mean, Danica's her best friend. Yeah. And, like, the pack is also really close because she's known them since college and she's known Ethan since college. But everyone... 
is really against her and Juniper and Fury are basically her only like friends right. anymore. So Bryce is in a, a pretty pretty dark place to a say the least. Place, yes. Um and one thing about the funerals is so the bone quarter is across the river from the rest of the city. And in the funerals they put the bodies of the people on these boats. I kind of imagine them as like gondolas almost. Yeah. Um, it's like river sticks energy. It is like river sticks energy. Um, and they put the bodies on the boats. The boats sail across the river. And if your soul is worthy to go to the bone quarter, then your boat crosses the river. But if it's not, it's dumped into the river and the river monsters eat your body. You're basically like your soul's lost forever. Yeah. Um, so Bryce ends up watching the funeral boat kind of from afar and sees that they all crossed the river. Okay, so that's the end of the first part. Are we ready to pick back up with the second part? Sure. So part two is called The Trench. Trench. Which I feel like is appropriate because Bryce seems to be in a bit of an emotional trench at Mm -hmm. the moment. The second part picks up almost two years later. Yeah, honestly, when you wrote that, I was kind of surprised. I thought it was, um, I really thought it was like a few months later. No, so Bryce, obviously, she's still having a really tough time. She's, I mean, she's lost her best friend. Like, she's lost... In quite a brutal way. Yeah. It's not like she just, like, died. Yeah. She was, like, viciously murdered in their home. So, you know, Briggs ends up being arrested for the murders. He's supposed on trial. He's convicted. The funerals happen. They think everything's behind them. But, oh, it is not. (laughs) But, oh, we're only on page 19. (laughs) Yeah. So, Bryce is still working for Jessica. She has kind of this secret folder on her work computer of resumes and cover letters for jobs that she wants to apply to, but just hasn't. But she's still working for Jessica. She's just very conflicted. Doesn't really know where her life's going. Doesn't know what to do. That's fair. Yeah. So, she is heading out to meet a client named Maximus Terrain? Terrain? I don't know. Um, He is a vampire, um, and they're going to meet at a club slash bar to do this deal. Basically, Bryce needs him to give her a check, um, and he's buying something important from Jessica. They do this deal, and he's very flirty with Bryce, and is, like, making a lot of advances, and it's like, oh, you fucked a guy in the bathroom here. Like, why won't you fuck me in the bathroom? Like, these messages yeah. have haunted Bryce. Yeah. And they were published all over the internet. They were posted all over town. Like, they were part of the murder trial. She, everyone dubs her party princess. Like, it's bad. So Bryce is just, like, really pissed off about it. And I think Rune's ends up being there and kind of intervenes. And Bryce is grateful for Rune, but she's also like, get the fuck out of my life. Like, I don't yeah. want to see you anymore. So the next day, Bryce is at work. Um, and Hunt and Isaiah, who are... Isaiah is, like, Micah's second-in-command. and Hunt, He's, like, Hunt's boss. Yeah. But they, the two of them together command the 33rd Legion, basically, which is made up of, like, five or six people, and they're Micah's elite unit. Right. So they show up to the gallery, and they tell her that Maximus was killed after her meeting, and his death is incredibly similar, if not identical, to Danica and the Pax death. And so... That's that spooky. Bryce into a little bit of a spiral. That's spooky. Um, And it's obviously, like, it's obvious that Briggs... Maybe he is involved, but they don't know in what way because he's in prison. Right. They're like, you know, how did this happen? So Micah tasked Hunt to work with Bryce to investigate the situation, but on the DL. And they want to get to the bottom of what's happening because in a month, the summit is coming to Crescent City. And the summit is basically like a large political conference where they 
zoom in the S theory <laughs> and zoom. They make a bunch of like political decisions or it's basically like a big political meeting. Yeah. Sandriel, who was Hunt's former owner, is coming to town for the summit. Um, and so like the city needs to be in tip top shape. So kind of while all this is going on, Rune is looking for the horn still, which hasn't been recovered. It's been over two years. Um, and the Autumn King thinks that finding the horn because it's an ancient fae relic will help revitalize the fae because they have a lot of dwindling power. And just like each generation, the fae are getting less and less powerful. Yeah, it seems like compared to SJM's other series, I know we haven't done any episodes on Tog, mm-hmm. but compared to Akatar, and if you've read Tog, compared to Tog, it seems like the fae in Crescent City are kind of weak. Yeah. They're just, they don't have and the they... same kind of power. And I think maybe some of, because not all of the Fae in the planet live in Crescent City. Like, Rune's parents were in a political marriage, and his mom is from Avalon or Valen, something like that. Yeah. Which is on a different part of the country, and their Fae power seems to be a little bit stronger. But overall, the Fae in Crescent City, like, are not the strongest. Right. So the Autumn King wants to find the Horn. And while this is also going on, he's pushing Rune into a political marriage with Hypaxia, who is the heir to the witches, because he's like, I was in a political marriage, it's your duty as my heir to produce more heirs. Prince. Yeah. That's kind of a, a prince thing. Yeah. You get you get married off and you make heirs. One thing to note is that the Fae on their 13th birthday, so similar to other crest, or other series in the SJM universe, most of these people have near immortal lifespans. So Something to keep in mind. Um, the Fae, on their 13th birthday, go see the Oracle within the city, and they're given a prophecy basically about their future. And Rune's prophecy is that his line will end with him. No more details than that. So Rune doesn't really want to get married. He doesn't want to have kids because he thinks either he's going to die or that he can't have kids because of this Oracle's prophecy. Okay. I'm going to... This... I'm going to go on a little bit of a fae tangent. Oh, God. But it is related. So during all this, Bryce and Rune are talking about the horn because Bryce knows that Jessica has access to these texts. So he asks Bryce if he can come to the gallery and see these texts. And they're talking about the texts. And you mean like like ancient Yeah. Te- okay. The ancient fae texts. You're talking about, you said texts. Sorry. And I was like, Jessica has access to the text that Bryce was hooking no, up no, with no, someone no. in the bathroom? No, the ancient fae books. <laughs> so Rune kind of goes on this story telling her about the Starborn and this is what happens. So Rune says the first Starborn prince, his name is Peleus. Okay. He used to have the horn during the very first war and the first war was between the Asteri and the people of Midgard. Just as a whole. Um, and he and the princes of Hell. Which side were the princes of Hell on? I think everyone was fighting the Asteri, but I think the Princes okay. of Hell were also fighting everyone else. Cute. So Hell is like a different realm. It's not on Midgard. That would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so You know that song that's like, Heaven is a place on Earth? <laughs> yeah. Heaven, hell is a place on Midgard? No. <laughs> so the first Starborn Prince, Peleus, had the horn during the first war, and he was using it to fight demons because the Hell is a pit, the demons are afraid of light, he is the Starborn Prince, therefore he has the Starlight. <laughs> Which, the Princes of the Pit are very anti-light. I'm not going to take you seriously. Right? Why? Hell is a pit. 
the demons are afraid of light. He is the starborn. He has starlight. <laughs> Therefore, they don't like him. <laughs> Ergo. <laughs> Ergo. So, uh... To counteract the horn slash Pelias' power, the prince of the pit, who is, like, the head prince of hell, <laughs> he lives in the lowest pit of hell. He's the hell honcho in charge? <laughs> yeah. A.K.A. the star eater. Oh. Yeah. Yummy. Um, uses Pelias's blood to make a new demon called the Crystalos, and during the war, Pelias um, banishes all of the demons of hell, including the Crystalos, and he seals the northern rift which is the rift between Midgard and the entrance to hell, um, right before he dies. But in this process, the horn uses so much power that it breaks the horn, so hell isn't fully sealed, so there's... It's cracked. Yeah. So part of, like, Hunt's mission is that he also has to fight demons that appear at Midgard through the northern rift. Um... And the Prince of the Pit, who is Dubstar Eater, he is dub star eater because he kills the starborn but he also helps Good. the fey and the other people kill sirius and uh who's one of the asteri and the asteri are like the seven stars that's one of their names so during this whole story bryce realizes that the chrysalis because rune and her are like looking through books and looking through pictures or drawings not pictures um <laughs> that someone took out their iphone to yeah, picture that the crystalos is the demon that killed her friends and so she ends up talking to hunt about this because you know this is during their investigation because they've been trying to narrow down like who caused this through all of this ruin believes that the horn is connected to the murders because the horn disappeared right before the murders took place and that through his starborn powers he can kind of summon the horn like like cause to like kind of energy love the way you said that yeah so it's like it comes up in other sjm books yeah like in all of the sjm books <laughs> it calls to light <laughs> but he somehow thinks like the horn the demon the murder starborn all connected so while all this is going on you know bryce and hunt are looking and they're trying to figure out what's going on they're doing some investigation another murder happens also though know. let's talk about the fact that bryce and hunt don't like each other they do not they're not getting along mm -hmm. neither of them is having a good time mm -hmm. Hunt sees Bryce as this party princess spoiled brat. Yeah. And Bryce thinks Hunt is an alpha hole. Which he is. So they find in another a fun way. <laughs> Spooky, but in a fun way. <laughs> so they find another body at Luna's temple. Um, it's an acolyte. She's basically like a priestess. A priestess of the goddess Luna in training. Yeah. So after they find this body, Bryce and Hunt are fighting and they get in this big fight and he calls her a party princess. And um, he thinks that she, when the when the murders originally happened, he thought that Bryce killed Danica, and Bryce is pissed about this. Like, which I think is fair. Yeah, she's very upset. Um, so Bryce is really mad, and like, kind of to prove Hunt right and wrong, she ends up going clubbing with Fury and Juniper, and the club that she's in called the White Raven gets blown up. I forgot <laughs> about that. Jesus Christ! Yeah. It's kind of intense. And it is. I feel like that's a new level of intense we get with this, like, more modern setting. Like Very much so. Sure, in Akatar we had, like... Swords. <laughs> swords and, like, people getting, like, piked on lampposts in Valeris. But, like, now we have bombs. And guns. And guns. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely part it's of different. The, the, mar the modern setting. I think it's also interesting that there are still swords, like, 
Danica's sword is an heirloom sword of the wolf shifters, and Rune sword is obviously like the star sword, which is an heirloom. So it's just an interesting kind of like juxtaposition. Yeah, it is kind of weird that they like very casually use swords, but also are like bombs. Yeah, like guns. Rune. Yeah, like all of the city patrol carry guns. You know, it's just yeah, it's an interesting. But also, Danica's like, "Can you hold my sword?" Yeah, <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> Literally, I was about to say this is the new hold my beer. Yeah. Hold my sword. So after the club gets blown up, <laughs> um, Bryce is okay. She obviously is very shaken by the whole incident. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. So she gets placed on 24-hour protection. So basically, this in- means that either Hunt or Isaiah is watching her at all times. And she lives in a new, like, high-rise apartment building. So they're just kind of sitting on the roof of the next building over, watching her. Casual. This and- gives Cassian waiting for Nesta to, like, come out the day she has to go meet Feyre and Reese in Silver yeah. Flames. Just, like, standing on the next building being like, what are you doing? And Bryce is very bitchy about it. Like, she has, you know, these floor-ceiling windows in her apartment, so she ends up shutting the blinds, specifically when Hunt's around. Um, And so then Hunt will, like, come and knock on her door and be like, open your blinds, like, I need to be able to see what's happening. But then there's one scene, I don't know if it happens in this part or the next part, where Bryce is walking around basically in, like, a thong and underwear just to tease Hunt, and he's a little bit thrown off by it, to say the least. I kind of love the energy, though. Like, oh, yeah. You don't want me to shut my blinds? Fine. I'm gonna go about my business. So they, at this point, they're obviously frustrated with each other, and they don't really have, like, a great work. Oh, they're frustrated. <laughs> they don't really have, like, a great working rapport, because they don't super trust each other. No, they don't. But she thinks he's hot. He thinks he, she's, she's hot. hot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's some things going on under the surface. But I think that makes it even more frustrating, when it's like, yeah. you are the most aggravating person I've ever met, but God, what I would do to jump your bones right now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hope you liked that little grandma um, analogy. Mm-hmm. So, as the story progresses, Rune comes back into the archives because in the gallery. Jessica's gallery. Yeah, to look for more information about the horn and the demons, because he's looked in the Fey gallery, which is in Five Roses. It's like kind of a library almost. But there's not a ton of information. He knows that Jessica, she's got the good books. Just because Jessica's got the illegal books. Yeah, is what she's got. So he learns that Peleus uh, has a wife and a daughter, and they were also starborn. And until this point, Rune only thought that the starborn was passed through the male lineage. So this is kind of a little bit of a revelation for him. A female revolution happened. Happy yeah. Women's History Month. Yeah. Uh, and he learns through these books that the horn worked when Starborn light is poured through it, and Rune, up until this point, like, he has Starborn magic, but it is not his main form of magic, and he can create the Starborn light, but it takes a lot of effort and energy for him to do so, and even with all this energy, he produces just, like, the littlest bit of light, and because of this, the Autumn King is, like, you're a failure. Like, this is even more evidence that the Fae are dwindling down in power. He's the bottom king. disgrace. Yeah, really does not like this. Yeah. He also really does not like Rune. No. They have they butt heads quite frequently. <laughs> um, And in the reading, Rune realizes that the horn can be fixed, and there's this quote from the book, and it says, it can be fixed by light that is not light and magic that is not magic. So helpful. Yeah, what does Very that mean? Helpful. Riddle me that one. And Rune thinks it might be Starborn light. He's not really sure. He's just kind of pondering that what that means. And while this is going on, 
Ruin has two roommates who are also in the city patrol with him. Oh, buddies. Named Declan and Emmett. And Declan is, like, a hacker, computer, nerd type guy. But he's also, his dad is, like, super rich. He's a he? lord. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're both from, like, well-off fey families. Royalty. Yeah. So Declan, Rune has Declan go back through, like, video footage around the city. Because one thing about the city is that there are cameras everywhere. The modern setting. <laughs> yeah. So Declan, or Rune has Declan go back through the footage um, the night that the horn was stolen from the temple. Because there's a bunch of video cameras around the temple. And he realizes that Danica was there the night that the horn was stolen. And, That's skeevy. And she was supposed to be on watch. And when the horn was actually stolen, the cameras cut out, but Danica was around the temple, like, right before the cameras cut out. Also, when Danica's on watch, she's not near the temple. No, she's not supposed to be over there. Yeah. Yeah. So Not her turf. They think it's even more mysterious that, you know, days after the horn goes missing, Danica and her entire pack gets murdered. While all this is going on, Hunt still doesn't super trust Bryce, but, like, they're building their relationship a little bit more... And Hunt decides to visit the Oracle, which is, you know, the same one that Rune visited. And Bryce also visited on on her 13th birthday. And the Oracle warns Hunt to stay away from Bryce. So, dun-dun-dun. And he doesn't really know what to make of it. And he, I think he ended up going with Bryce, maybe? I can't really remember. Yeah, Bryce didn't want him to go. I remember that. Because they talked about it, and she was like, fuck the Oracle. I don't trust the Oracle. So... Kind of backstory to all of this. When Bryce went to see the Oracle when she was 13, the Adidas. Oh my king. Not Adidas, Adidas. And his kind of joke with Bryce is he says, you know, what blinds an Oracle because the Oracle was, you know, freaking out and saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm blind, I'm blind. And that's something that really freaked Bryce out. And she was there, like, visiting her dad for the first time. It was the first time she met Rune. It was kind of traumatic. Yeah, and after this whole prophecy happens, Bryce doesn't really want anything to do with her dad anymore. She doesn't really want anything to do with Rune. Fair. You see how well it's going for her. Yeah, so she's very freaked out. So she's very wary of the Oracle. Hunt gets his prophecy, and Bryce is like, yeah, fuck the Oracle. Whatever. What's the Oracle now? Yeah, so after this happens, you know, they're still doing their investigation. And then there is another murder at Luna's Temple. They're just getting very freaked out about it. They're frustrated because they're not making progress in the way that they wanted to be. Like, all of this stuff that is going on. You know, through furthering their investigation, Bryce realizes that all of the murders happen near ley lines. So she thinks that maybe that has to do something with, you know, the person has to be summoning this demon. And she thinks that the ley lines are important for the summoning. But they don't really know what to do with that information. So, like we said, this is a little less than halfway through the book. So do you want to get into our reactions maybe thus yeah so i have two prefacing comments Mm -hmm. the first is that crescent city is my least favorite of the sjm series and i think that probably shows given that emma did the (laughs) entire episode up to this point pretty much i will say that doing this episode kind of makes me want to go back and reread it because i'm like wait that happened yeah i don't really like the modern setting all that much Mm -hmm. like for me, the SJM books are really good for fantasy escapism type mm-hmm. stuff. I can't escapism when there are bombs going off in clubs. <laughs> That's a little too hashtag real for me. And I don't know. It's just not the right setting for me to be really into it in the way I'm into a fantasy book. Mm-hmm. I also don't feel like I relate to Bryce in the same way that I feel like I relate to other SJM characters. Yeah, You really loved Aelin and Feyre. I did. And Nesta. And Nesta yeah. 
but yeah, I yeah, I really connected to all the other SJM leading ladies. Yeah, I think this makes a lot of sense because you don't really love sci-fi, and to me, this is a more sci-fi setting. I'll it talk about this in a minute. It does get closer to sci-fi than her other books. Yes, and her other books are fantasy books. I, Bryce and I, I don't, I don't feel there is no part of me that I really see in Bryce, mm-hmm. but I see parts of myself in Feyre Nesta and Aelin. Mm-hmm. So Bryce and I, I just, just don't. No, I get it. It's harder, yeah. <laughs> I will say this is just kind of like a fun fact about me, <laughs> um, and Emma. Emma read the book before me. Yeah, I read. I started Crescent City one right after, like less than a week after I read uh, Silver Flames. I was just fiending for this. Jam I content. was also of the mind that I was going to read Akatar. Like first of all, I didn't want to read Akatar. And I convinced her. But then I wasn't going to read any other SJM books. She was not, and I convinced her. But when I was insistent that I would never read it, Emma was just telling me things about Crescent City, and Mm -hmm. the only thing that I remembered was the fact that the main character's best friend dies. Mm -hmm. So when I finally started reading it for myself, I met Danica, and I was like, ah, shit! So that, like, that really didn't get me in the way that I think it got a lot of people. It got me. I know, you cried. I'll talk about it, yeah. I watched. I just, I knew it was coming. Like, as soon as we met Danica, I was like, so you're going to be dead in a few pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just never connected to Danica that much because I knew that she was uh, on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. I do think killing Danica is kind of a big move for us, JM. Yeah. Not that, I mean, we don't really get to know her because she's around for 80 pages max. Yeah, she does. I will say she has a bigger... Danica's memory and the stuff that happened while she was alive comes up a lot more in the second part, which we're getting to. I mean, to. even in the first part, that's why Bryce agrees to work with Hunt, because yeah. she wants to to solve Danica's murder. Yeah. I don't know, SJM, like, we talked about this in the Akatar episodes, all the main characters are still kicking. She loves a resurrection trope. She does, and so the fact that Danica's dead is pretty surprising. Yeah. It's very jarring. It is. Usually yeah. lesser characters die, and Especially we're like, okay with that. because, you know, it's about 100 pages before Danica dies, and so, you know, the book is close to 800 pages, like, it's a pretty big book, but you think everything's hunky-dory. You do think everything's hunky-dory, and then it's like, and Danica was dead. She was viciously murdered. And I also think vicious murder is a lot different than, like, someone getting killed in, like, a battle. Yeah, yeah. And I will say that, as much as I don't like this book as much as I like other SJM books, Rune Dannon is everything to me. (laughs) I know, you're gonna roast me so hard. I love Rune. And I think that- The people love him. The people do love him. But I think as we go through this like, four-part series, five-part series we're gonna have, and we explore a little bit more about Bryson Rune's relationship and Rune as a character- I think you will see why people love him if you haven't. does grow. Also, I will say, Rune is a frat boy. He is. That is his description. He's an emo frat boy. Let's take a journey together. (laughs) Everyone close your eyes. We're going to do a little bit of an exercise. My eyes are closed and I'm picturing someone so attractive. I want you to picture a tall, like, tan-skinned, female, purple eyes, long hair, like, chest-length hair, if not longer, but shaved on one side, arms covered in tattoos, chest covered in tattoos. Wait for it, give and it to me. A lip ring. Oh, 
Hey, just wondering, anyone else here um, a Five Sauce fan? Because if you remember Luke Hemming's lip ring phase, you understand why I feel the way I feel. Rune also has like a fully pierced ear too. It's hot. But he, he says, I'm a bad boy. He is the quintessential party boy daddy's money kind of energy, but hates okay, his dad. Okay, but the Autumn King is a piece of shit. Yes. He gets to be the party boy daddy's but money guy. him, Declan, and Emmett all live together, and they basically just live in a frat house. Like, it's a shitty, trashed party house. And I also, this is what I'll say about Rune, and part of the reason that I do love him, I don't really think this is a spoiler, because the way we've kind of touched on him, I think it's evident that he's going to be a larger yeah. role. He from sticks around. I think that once Bryce and Brune kind of come to like more common ground or yeah, like repair their relationship a little, yeah. I think that Rune, and even even now, like when Bryce mm-hmm. still doesn't want to be around him, Rune really cares about Bryce. Yes. And I think that that's part of the reason that I love him is seeing him care for her even when she doesn't yeah. want. Like, He's concerned for her safety, concerned for her well being. Yeah. He cares about the fact that she is his sister. Even if she doesn't want to be his sister. Yeah. Cause so when this book happens, and even when the next book happens, Bryce is younger than 27. Because yeah. her and Danica want to take the drop at 27 together. That's like kind of an important part of their story. We'll explain taking the drop in the next, in the next episode. episode. Don't worry about it. She's under than 20s, under 27. And I think Rune is over a hundred years old, maybe. Probably. Like they're pretty significantly different in age. So when Bryce came to visit at 13, you know, Rune is an, an adult. adult. Yeah. But Which, he also, like, was kind of excited to meet her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have any other siblings. And she was excited to meet him yeah. before they had their falling out. Yeah. And she cared about him. Right. Yeah, until the and falling out, yeah. And I think out, yeah. what we'll see in the next few episodes is that the f- their sibling relationship is really a driving point yes. of the books. Like, the way they kind of care for each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, work to help each other, like, achieve their goals. That that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that that's a side of Rune that I really love, too. Yeah. Is Rune as the older brother mm-hmm. who wants, like, the best for Bryce. My older sibling is coming out. <laughs> My youngest sibling <laughs> is coming out. <laughs> yeah, you definitely... I appreciate Rune as a character more as the story evolves. Oh, most definitely. You just like him because he's hot. I do. <laughs> Luke Hemmings in the lip ring, friends. Think on it. I was more of a Michael girl anyways. Please keep this in so that the people know my five soft opinions. Okay, moving on. I really, really like these books. I know you do. I like Crescent City 1 a lot more than I like Crescent City 2, I will say. Which is interesting because I like Crescent City. If I had to pick between the two, I like Crescent City 2 more. Crescent City 2 feels a little bit disjointed. I can't get into it, it further. Disjointed, I will say. Um, Because we're not there yet in our sequence of events. Call me back in a few episodes. <laughs> but I am a sci-fi girl. Like that, Those are my reading roots is sci-fi. And this book feels more sci-fi than any of the other SJM books. Like I would say Tog is probably my least favorite SJM series. What? And it's because it's just a lot of fantasy and I really you know I enjoyed the series as I was reading it and I enjoyed it you know because SJM wrote it and I like her writing style and her characters but I feel stupid reading the Tog series I'd like to call a meeting to order (laughs) and I would like us right now to rank the SJM series 
Your favorite to your least favorite. You first. Akatar Crescent City Tog. Interesting. And you're probably Tog Akatar Crescent City. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I really like the modern setting. I feel like it makes Bryce to me a more relatable character. You know, Nesta will always be my girl. Nesta and I, I feel bonded to Nesta. But I'm I, trauma bonded to Nesta. I also feel that Bryce is relatable. Like, I haven't gone through the experience of like losing someone in a very traumatic way. But I think there are other parts of Bryce that are still relatable to me. Yeah. And I think the modern setting helps amplify her relatedness, relatableness in other ways that like just Nesta and Feyre necessarily aren't relatable. This is what I think about Bryce's relatability to me. Mm-hmm. Bryce is a recent college grad in her early 20s mm-hmm. who likes to go out and have a good time. That's how I feel like I connect to Bryce is I'm like, this is an experience. I, I like to go out. Yeah. I like to party. We are recent college graduates. We are. And yeah. I think in the first book, Bryce is probably around 23. Yeah, 24 maybe. Which is our age. Yeah, I'm about to be 24. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way that I feel like I really connect to Bryce. See, I just feel like there are other parts, like especially her character development and the guilt she feels about Danica's death and everything that happened with Connor can feel relatable. Yeah. I've know. never had an ex murdered. I haven't either. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Not even an ex. A potential. I don't know. There's. I like her, and I like the modern setting, and I like the sci-fi-esque elements that we're kind of pushing the boundary on. One thing that I like that SJM does through Bryce is I think you can also kind of see how her writing evolves a little bit yes. as she's aged. Yes. Um, Especially first of all, you read Tog. Yeah. Like, the whole alpha hole thing, like, let's be real. Rowan Whitehorn, alpha, alpha hole. hole. Hot Recent as fuck. Alpha hole. Hot as fuck. Yeah. But both alpha holes. Hunt is still kind of an alpha hole in some ways. Is. <laughs> Period. Yeah. But I think her calling, like, having a main character that's like, I don't date alpha holes. Yeah. And there's this one part in the first book where she kind of describes what an alpha hole is. Yeah. And I've seen it on, like, Tumblr and stuff that's like, recent talking to you yeah like rowan so i think that that's her kind of being self-aware yeah of like i love rowan i love reese they're not always the least toxic men no and i think they're supposed to be morally gray men like hunt is also a morally gray person she still writes alpha hole morally gray men but we're aware of it now and there's something about bryce and hunt's relationship that kind of takes me back to like a modern romance book interesting that i like i love to read romance and i think that's something that women should not be ashamed of saying first no of all no way have you ever been <laughs> on your soapbox on this podcast about women reading and their romance? love of romance novels i am just a romance gal and i think there's something about their relationship that harks to a modern romance book that i really like do you think it's just because it's in a modern setting and they yes, text each other sometimes? Like, is that the extent of it like to you? the banter that exists, you know, kind of the flurry. Like, they both, both do stuff to get under each other's skin. Like, Bryce walking around in her apartment and her, like, Rowan skeevies. and Aelin? Yes. Ske- Wait, hold on. You just said her skeevies? What the fuck? <laughs> her panties? Would you prefer that? I was going for underwear. <laughs> undergarments. Her 90s. Her tidy whities her 90s grandma <laughs> there's just something about the like spiteful flirty banner 
that really gives off modern romance energy. I will say, this is back to Bryce for a moment. Mm -hmm. This is one of the ways that I actually do feel the most connected to Bryce as a curvy woman. Mm -hmm. Period. And there's a lot of fan art of Bryce where she's just like, you know, a skinny, like straight-sized woman. And I think there's a lot of pushback about that too because SJM, it's not like made comments throughout the book where it's, you know, her curvy, blah, blah, blah. But it's emphasized in her character description. And I think people point that out and they're like, don't forget this about her. And I think it's important character always, quality. I always have imagined her as kind of like slim, thick. Yeah. For Because she does, like dance is pretty hardcore exercise if you're in yeah. it that in depth. She does run. And too. she does run. So I always imagined her as being like fit, but with like a chest and hips. Yeah. As opposed to like, they do talk about how Nesta has pretty big boobs, but like... <laughs> I think that Faye, like, in my mind, Feyre is a stick. Yeah. Feyre is a stick with maybe some boobs because she was pregnant. But, like, that's it. Yeah. And so, for Bryce, it's, like, she seems like a woman with more of my build, Mm -hmm. which I do appreciate when I imagine. Yeah, the representation is increasing with every SJM book that we get. She's getting older. She's getting wiser. The times are changing. We're giving her opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I will say... In this book, with a, true across a lot of SJM books, race is not important mm-hmm. as much as, like, magical ability. Like, Juniper is a black woman. You know, Fury is described as more of an Asian woman. Juniper's black? Yeah. I'm telling you, I don't read character descriptions. So, there's more diversity, and, like, there are more, you know, queer characters in some of her books. Not to the extent that, like, a queer author would write. But this is one of our gripes with SJM, but I do think things are improving as, like, times and like society is changing i think that's fair and i do think that one thing about sjm that i think about as like a heterosexual person yeah is that sjm is not a queer author no she's not and i think obviously that she should include queer characters mm-hmm. this is something we've talked about before too. yes and yeah. i my fear this is me speaking as a heterosexual person And I think you, as someone who is not heterosexual, would agree that I do not have a good understanding of the the non-straight experience. And I think that maybe that, if I was an author, and maybe this is where SJM is coming from, is not wanting to misrepresent the experience. We've talked about this too, like, if you are not a queer author, maybe it's not your place to write queer experiences but you can still include yes. queer relationships. Right. Yeah. I just don't think for an author like SJM, they're probably ever going to be the main No. And that's why there are, are queer authors that exist. Like, right. I'm thinking about Casey McHouston, who has that queer experience. Exclusively writes queer romance. Yeah. And they take up a space and fill, like, a specific category of books that describe the queer experience because only they can describe that because right. they have lived it themselves in fantasy writing in general not just sjm books like there is a tendency for you know race gender expression and sexual like sexuality expression to be a little bit more fluid compared to other you know contemporary romance or fiction books because they're writing they're not writing in the confines of like our society and our space and that's something i really like about yeah that's part of the thing where I'm like, SJM books for me are more escapism. Yeah. Because qualifying myself as a 
white, heterosexual, cisgender woman, mm-hmm. seeing all of the injustice in the world that happens to people of color, to people who are not straight, mm-hmm. it hurts me. It makes yeah. me very upset. And getting to escape to a world where maybe the worst thing that's going on is there's a war with some bad fae. Yeah. To that point, I think it is it is interesting that she does include slavery in this book. I agree. I That made me kind of take a pause when yeah. I read it. Because, I mean, Hunt is not, like, slavery is not in the same conditions that slavery existed, you know, in America or in, like, colonialism type settings. But the fact that Hunt is a slave is a very big point in this book. Especially SJM as an American writer writing yeah. to, I would say, primarily American audience. Yeah. Obviously a global or writer, a but primarily, like, colonialist. you know, upper and in middle income country audience, too. It, it is interesting, but I think as an American, I contextualize slavery with the American South. Yeah. With the Civil War. Yes. Yeah. The antebellum period in the country. And so reading about Hunt as a slave, one is kind of humbling when you remember that people do still exist as slaves today yeah. in a way different than what you and I learned about slavery as in school. Mm-hmm. But also, like, it does take you back a little bit as yeah. an American, a a southerner mm-hmm. who grew up with like these the stories yes yeah and it's part of her you know requirements for learning and part of the history of the south and part of the history of this country that is often quite ignored it definitely like i said a second ago it gave me pause and yeah. i don't know how else to really describe the feeling yeah that it was but like it was surprising it it's just an interesting choice especially like she could have said something like servitude yeah kind of like an indentured servant a slave has a very specific connotation yeah Yeah. but i don't know that it's necessarily wrong for what what hunt is it's just different than the way that i was taught about slavery which is yeah in the context of the american south and on a race basis right and for hunt it's like you led a rebellion and now we hate you yeah Almost like a prisoner versus mm-hmm. what I would, like, our historical concept of a slave. I do think the kind of deal that Micah set up is absolutely fucked. It is fucked. And Hunt feels incredibly torn up about it. Like, the fact that he is basically an assassin. And in the time that he's been with Micah, it's been, I don't know, however many years it's been. A while. He's killed. He's almost done. No, no, no. I thought he was. I thought he was near the end. No, so when... This is what I was going to say. Oh, I got you back. So (laughs) the bargain when Hunt asks... Or when Micah asks Hunt and Bryce to work together, Hunt or... He's going to erase the rest of it. Yes, Micah says that if you solve this murder and you work with Bryce, you will only have 10 kills left to make for your freedom. That makes sense. So up until this point, Micah and Hunt have... Micah has owned Hunt for... A hundred years. No, because oh, Hunt was... is oh. only like two hundred and fifty years old. You're right, because he and he was originally with Sandrio. Sandrio. Yeah, so he's owned him for maybe like ten to twenty years at this point, and he's made like twenty something kills. So like it's a very slow progress, and mm. every death that Hunt makes, like, kind of knocks him on his ass a little bit. And so when Micah proposes this offer of like you know solve this murder and you have ten kills left, Hunt is on it yeah. he, you know he's like okay 10 people 
not good, but that I can do 10 people. Years. Yeah. So he very much jumps on the opportunity. And I think Micah kind of exploits that relationship because obviously I don't think any of the other members of the 33rd Legion are slaves to my recollection remember so they all know Hunt's reputation and they know Hunt's bargain with Micah so when this kind of comes about they're like you know you should take it like this this could be good for you okay do you have anything else you want to say there's definitely something in my brain, but it <laughs> it will not come to the surface. And yeah. I've been thinking about it for a second. If you think about it, write it down. We'll talk about it in the next episode. Kind of our tentative plan. We'll do two episodes about the first Crescent City book, two episodes about the second Crescent City book, and then do kind of a future prediction. Kind of like we did with Akatar. Yeah. But we've been teasing our CC Theories episode for literally Months. as long as this podcast has existed. Yeah. I'm so excited. Oh we my were God. waiting for a friend to finish it, um, but she has been reading it for as long as we've had this podcast. We'll so. talk to her. Sorry, bud. <laughs> You're gonna have to skip this episode. That but episode. There are rumblings on the interwebs and on TikTok that CC three is gonna be announced soon and then it's gonna come out it better fucking be in the early months of next year here's a question i do have for you okay how would you feel if she just like randomly announced a new series she would right now if she did what would you do i would be like bitch where the fuck is cc3 yeah anyways any uzis this is the wrap-up for this episode if you like this episode, <laughs> remember to give it a five-star review so that our podcast continues to grow. Please. Follow us on TikTok at RW Reads. Hold on. I actually don't know our TikTok. Yeah, follow us on TikTok. I think it's our- Follow no. us on Instagram. I'm not going to say what it is before I know what it is. Okay. Our TikTok is rwread.pod. Dot pod. And our oh. t- Instagram is at roommates. Roommates. Who. 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 Read. 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 Oh. <laughs> Emma has never gotten that right. No, I have not. At roommates.who.read on Instagram. Um, and hopefully our schedule will be less uninterrupted than it was. I was very busy January, February. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, but we post roughly every Thursday. If you know, you know. Roughly. <laughs> Maybe every other Thursday. Maybe. Are you drunk right now? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna be hungover tomorrow. <laughs>